This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. We go through the book of Philippians verse by verse uh, over the last nine weeks or so, and we find ourselves in verses 20 and 21 here today. And uh, the title of today's message is Magnified Jesus, which happens to be our 2020 theme. Now, we will not get out of the book of Philippians by the end of 2020. Uh, so in case you didn't figure out my pacing yet. Uh, we're not really going through this at a clipping pace. Uh, so we got the four, three more chapters after this one. Uh, we will not make it through by the end of the year for sure. Uh, so we'll carry the, this study into the next year, but we'll have a brand new theme for 2021. And so, uh, but, but uh, if you're missing the message so far, you always stay caught up on these as we just gone verse through verse, verse by verse through the book of Philippians 1. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 12, uh, just to give us a little bit of a context as we go through this. Uh, just as a reminder, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. It was a church that he started, his first uh, church that he started on his second missionary journey. He started in Greece. Uh, first church in Europe that he started was the church at Philippi. Pastored it for a while, moved on, uh, and then about 10 years later, he finds himself in jail, and he writes to them a letter from jail. We sometimes refer to as the prison epistles or prison letters uh, that he writes. And so he writes to them and just tells them how thankful he is for what God is doing in their life and what God has done uh, in their life, and it's a message of great encouragement. And so uh, we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. He says, but would you understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Hey, you might have heard that some bad stuff happened. I'm in prison, but it's not a bad thing. I want you to be encouraged by this because what's happened is the gospel has actually gone further as a result of everything that's happened. Verse number 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because I'm in prison, there's a lot of people that are preaching Jesus uh, with a lot more boldness now. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein I do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. Verse 19 through 21 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing shall I be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by, by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My uh, daughter Tallulah uh, just turned three a couple of weeks ago and she is 100% a three-year-old. Uh, she's into everything and talking about everything and kind of becoming aware of the world in which she knows it. And now every day when she drops, we drop McKeely off her older sister at school, she sits in the back seat and she puffs her bottom lip out and she puts her head down and furrows her brow. I said, what's wrong, sweetheart? And she was like, I miss my sister. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. You guys were fat like cats and dogs three minutes ago, but now you miss her all of a sudden. Okay, that's fine. Every day we drop her off, and she gets sad for a minute. I miss my sister. Friday I had to drop my wife off at the dentist, and um, uh, you're not allowed to go into the dentist's office with you, the person being worked on only, nobody in the waiting room or anything like that. They've taken the chairs out of the waiting room. You can't even be in there. Uh, and so uh, she, my wife, I drop her off at the, the door of the dentist, and uh, she gets out of the car and shuts the door, and Tallulah's head goes down, her brow furrows, and her bottom lip goes out. And I go, what's wrong? She's like, I miss my mommy. It's okay, sweetheart. It's not that big of a deal. Mommy's going to be back in just a minute. McKeeley had a friend over on a Friday and we, we'd gone to, to grab a bite to eat and we're sitting at, at dinner and Tallulah had got, forgotten McKeeley's friend's name and so she just said, hey friend, hey friend, hey friend. And they were in the middle of a conversation and McKeeley's friend wasn't being rude. She was, they were just talking and being girls. Hey friend, hey friend. And finally McKeeley's friend says, what Tallulah? And she goes, do you miss your mommy? And she was just like, um, no. Hey friend, 
You miss your mommy, don't you? Hey, friend. Hey, friend. 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 You miss your mommy. And I realize the perspective of a three-year-old and a 13-year-old are way different when it comes to moms, right? Uh, Way different. Uh, And so I I thought to myself, just the perspective of a three-year-old, like to to miss every single person that's not around anymore, and the perspective of a 13-year-old having freedom and being able to get out and spread your wings a little bit and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, when it comes to perspective, life is really about perspective, isn't it? Paul, as he writes this letter, says, hey, guys, uh, you might have heard I'm in prison. It's not a bad thing because Jesus is being made famous. And whether I live or whether I die, it's really just all about Jesus and making him known. And Paul's perspective on life is way different. And life is really about perspective. Do you view your current circumstances as the things that are happening to you or how you've been dealt a bad hand or how things aren't going your way? Or do you look at life as, hey, God put this in my life for a reason. What am I supposed to do with it? How am I supposed to grow from this? How can I invest this in something greater than myself? It really just comes down to perspective. And Paul had the right perspective, and he's challenging the Christians at Philippi. He's challenging you and I this morning to have the right perspective about life. Life isn't about you. It's all about Jesus. And if we keep that perspective, Paul says, whether we live or whether we die, we're going to be 100% okay because it's not really about us after all. Paul is challenging them to, to live with Christ at the center of their life. Many people call themselves Christians but aren't truly Christians at all. Uh, Some people would call themselves Christian because they believe in God or maybe they were born into a a family that went to church and so they automatically consider themselves from a Christian family. But the Bible says that the word Christian really just means a little version of Jesus Christ, that uh, our life is an imitation of the life that Jesus lived. And you can't be a Christian just because you go to church or because you believe in a, quote, higher power. The only that you can become a child of God is by being adopted into God's family. You see, none of us were born automatically into the family of God. The Bible says we were born at odds with God. That you and I have sinned against God and from our, our very birth or our very conception even, we were at odds with God because we were born into a sin nature. And because of our sin, we separated us from God and we can't come to God on our own. And because you and I have sinned against God, the Bible says that we're deserving of God's punishment. Now, whether or not you believe you're uh, really worthy of that punishment doesn't really matter because God says you are, and that's really all that matters. And so God says, because you sinned against him, here's what you deserve. You deserve to die. And when you die, you deserve God's judgment, which is to go to hell and be separated from God for all of eternity. So just to make things really clear, all of us have sinned. All of us deserve to go to hell when we die because we've sinned against a holy God. That's what we deserve. But God loves you so much that he would not allow you to go to hell without another opportunity. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says it this way in in Romans chapter five, verse number eight, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die because of my sin, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished because of my sin, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to get the consequences, but Jesus took my consequences instead. And the Bible says it so beautifully that he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus died so that you and I can be forgiven, so that we can live a righteous life before God. And the Bible says if you would allow Jesus to pay for your sins, you would accept his payment, you would accept Jesus Christ as Savior, that you, friend, today could be saved from all the wrong that you've ever done in your entire life. Now, the good news is you only have to be saved one time. Uh, The Bible calls it being born again. And the day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, the day that you cry out to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says you are born again. And Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so it's a matter of knowing for sure that first of all, that you're saved. Has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as savior? 
There has, just as a, the day that you were born into this world, there must also be a time where you were born again, a time, a date, a place where you said, I know that I'm a sinner, I know that I need Jesus, and I'm asking him to forgive my sins and save me, and that's the day that you got saved. That's how one becomes a Christian, not by things that we've done or things that we can accomplish on our own, but what Jesus Christ has done for us. You know for sure that you're saved If you are saved, the Bible tells us then how we live after we've met Jesus Christ, how we live in such a way. And Paul says this, I want Jesus to be magnified. Now, it's interesting to to know, he's not saying that I want to make Jesus bigger than he is. You and I could not possibly exaggerate Jesus. You can't make Jesus bigger than he is because Jesus is the creator of this world. He is the sustainer of this world. He became a man to walk among us. And the Bible says he never sent one single solitary time so that he could pay for our sins. And you and I can't exaggerate the greatness of who Jesus Christ is. Fact of the matter is there aren't enough words in the human language to enumerate who Jesus Christ is. That's how big he is. So Paul's not talking about puffing Jesus up to make him look bigger. Paul is taking a look at making Jesus more visible, making him known to a greater degree, blowing him up in his life so big that when people see Paul's life, they can't help but see Jesus because Jesus has been magnified. That's the idea for you and I, that we would live a life in such a way that Jesus is so great in our life that people couldn't possibly examine our life without seeing how great Jesus truly is. If you're taking notes this morning, and I highly recommend that you do jot down a few thoughts this morning. First of all, magnifying Jesus isn't just about passing the time until your circumstances change. (laughs) Paul found himself in prison. Paul found himself in unfavorable circumstances. Paul was used to having his freedom. He would go from city to city, he would start churches. Sometimes he, would, uh, he was a tent maker, so sometimes he'd get a job at a local tent making uh, group and would meet some coworkers and uh, introduce them to Jesus, and they would start a church together, and then he would get that rolling and pass it off to somebody and then move on to the next place. Paul would gather Christians together sometimes and talk to them and encourage them and preach to them. Paul would gather together sometimes pastors together and give some pastor training and some leadership training and talk to them about what it meant to be a good pastor. But now he can't do any of those things. He's locked up he's in prison. He no longer has his freedom. So Paul could sit around really sad, out of shape, with a marker, marking off tick marks on the wall for every day that he spends in incarceration, or he could do something to advance the cause of Christ. He didn't sit around waiting for his circumstances to change. He got busy where he was. And so Paul, while he's in prison, says, hey, can somebody give me a sheet of paper and a pen? I think the Holy Spirit wants me to say something. And he began to write letters. And he wrote this letter to the church of Philippi. Sometimes Paul would have someone write for him and would have a scribe. He would dictate to them what they were supposed to write and he would write these letters. Paul wasn't just sitting around waiting for things to change. He got to work where he was. And you and I many times think, well, one of these days I'm gonna serve Jesus. One of these days, maybe when I get married or maybe when I settle down or maybe when I get a consistent job or maybe when my schedule changes, maybe then I'll serve Jesus. And I have to to admit, sometimes I fall and pray to that myself. Remember back this this March when uh, we got a group of guys together because they were talking about, you know, limiting gatherings and sizes and stuff like that. And I got a group of guys together. We talked about what that would look like if they limited our sizes and when we could gather together. And, you know, there's talk that only 100 could get together at a time. We talked about going to multiple services. Then they came out on a Thursday and says, no gatherings of more than 10 people. Man, we can't do that at all. So then we shifted it from a matter of Thursday to Sunday to 100% online ministry. Went from 0% online to 100% in like three days. And then in the middle of May or so, we began to think like, hey, this is kind of died down. We're gonna probably start having services in June or so, whether or not we get permission or not. We're gonna go ahead and do that anyways. Ended up getting permission towards the end of May to be able to have services. So in May, we start gathering together and start having services again. Man, and I remember in that time, somebody had asked, well, how much longer before we go back to normal? And I said, well, everything that they're telling us is if everybody wears their mask and everybody washes their hands for two weeks, this will be over. 
So in a couple of weeks, I can imagine just going back to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, and, and, and going back to the way things were, you know. Nobody will have to wear a mask. Every, every back in one service, probably a couple of weeks or so, I would imagine. And then how many of you found out that that wasn't really true? And how many of you found out that most people really don't have a clue as to what they're talking about when it comes to this? Or just kind of throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks. And so I realized probably about four weeks into the, quote, restart, that this is not a matter of just kind of hanging out and waiting until things go back to normal. This is where we are right now. And we're not going to sit around and wait for our circumstances to change before we start magnifying Jesus. We're just going to, man, put the throttle down and keep going. We're not going to coast any longer. And so we're not sitting around waiting for things to restart. Again, it grieves me that there are churches in our city that haven't met since March and still have no intention of ever meeting uh, anytime soon. And here's the thing, maybe churches like that should just stay closed. I don't know. Not my judgment to make. But I do know this, we're not going to sit around and wait till everything goes back to quote normal before we start trying to preach and teach Jesus, before we start inviting people to come and be a part of our services, before we continue to preach the gospel. We're still going to continue to uh, go when baptized. We're still going to continue to disciple believers and teach them about their faith. We're still going to create a thriving faith community. If we have to do most of that online, we'll do it ever how we have to, but we're going to continue to magnify Jesus in our current situation. And Paul illustrates that for us beautifully. You see, magnifying Jesus is about living a life that makes Jesus look good. Magnifying Jesus is about living my life in such a way that it points people to Jesus Christ. I have to think every single day, I am a representation of Jesus Christ. Every single day, I gotta think about that. Does my life make Jesus look good? I gotta think about the words that I use, the actions that I perform, the extracurricular activities I'm involved with, the hobbies I'm involved with, the places that I go, I got to think to myself, does this make Jesus look good? Now, this is, it flies in the face of everything that our society says. Our society says, live for you, do what makes you happy, don't worry about everybody else, do your own thing. But the Bible says, we don't live for ourselves, we live for others. And Paul's living his life in such a way that Jesus looks good Keep your finger here in Philippians 1. We're going to come back in just a sec, but turn a few pages to the left in your Bible to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Let's see, look at verse number 31. This might be a common verse that many of you have heard before. I would encourage you to circle, star, underline it in your Bible, maybe make a note of it. Whether you, therefore, you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's saying if you eat a sandwich for lunch, eat a sandwich to the glory of God. Huh. How do you eat a sandwich for the glory of God? Well, first of all, you thank him for it. Second of all, you're grateful in your spirit for it. Third, you don't complain about it. And fourth, when you're done, you can say, Praise God, I got to eat a meal that's more than most people got today. Or how about this? We go to a restaurant to have a meal together. We're gonna sit in a restaurant and pray and thank God. We're not gonna to like pray in our mind and keep our eyes open. No, we're gonna we're gonna pray like Christians do. We're not gonna be ashamed of it. We're gonna to conduct ourselves in such a way in that restaurant that is a way that makes Jesus look good. Hey, people might know that I'm a Christian or might think that I'm a Christian. I want to live in such a way that it makes Jesus look good. <laughs> Let me tell you, dining out with a two-year-old is challenging sometimes. There's been times where I've had to take my daughter out of a restaurant because I don't want to disturb people. There's been times where I've had to clean the table after we left because my daughter made a mess. Get under the table, picking up food that's uh, been smashed into the carpet. There's been times where I've uh, gotten my napkin and put it in, in water and cleaned crayons off of the table where she's actually written on the table and her coloring sheet. You know why? Because I want Jesus to look good. I'm gonna leave an invitation to our church, one of those green cards that we have back there. This is who we call a Baptist church, has the gospel on the back. I don't want people to think, oh, my soul. Church people came in there. They were rowdy. They were rude. They were unkind. I heard them telling dirty jokes. The kids made a, a wreck of the table, and they left a $2 tip on a $75 check. That doesn't make Jesus look good at all. 
And please just understand this. If that's you, please, for heaven's sakes, don't give them a hooey cola track. I got some Jehovah's Witness Watchtower magazines that you can hand out, but good grief. Don't make Jesus look bad. Seriously. So Paul, Paul says, again, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here's what he says verse number 32. Give none offense neither to the Jews nor the Gentiles nor the church of God. Here's what he says. Live your life in such a way that it wouldn't cause other people to sin or think that you were sinning. That's what give offense means. It doesn't mean that people be offended by the fact that you prayed in public or anything. I'm talking about offense like that. Don't cause other people to sin or cause other people to think you're involved in sin by the way that you live your life. That's either for the Jews, the Gentiles, or even Christians, anybody, live your life in such a way that makes Jesus look good. Verse 33, here's what Paul says. This blows my mind. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. You know what Paul says? I'm not living for myself. I'm living for everybody else. Not just to please them so that I can live a life that makes other people happy, but I'm living my life with the thought in mind that the way that I live my life could help other people be saved. (laughs) That's magnifying Jesus. You know why? We're totally the opposite in our day. Well, I don't care what people think about me. I don't answer them. I answer to God. I don't care what other people think about me. The Lord knows my heart. Yeah, but everybody else sees the outside. And I have to live my life in such a way that it draws people to Jesus. That when I say I'm a Christian, people are like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's why I've never heard you curse. That's why you're so kind to your wife. Uh, That's why you love your children and want to spend time with them. That's why you treat people fairly. That's why you put in a hard day's work. Oh, it all makes sense now, of course. I want to live my life in a way that makes Jesus look good. I want to live my life in a way that points other people to him. Magnifying Jesus is about leaving a legacy that advances the cause of Christ. If you haven't turned from, from 1 Corinthians yet, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number one, the very next verse, you know what he says? Be followers of me even as I am also of Christ. Paul says, hey, follow me, I'll show you how to be a Christian. Can you imagine, hey, here's Bobby. Bobby just got saved this morning. Bobby, I want you to follow Tom around this week, and I want you to do everything that he does because that's how Christians live. Would you be ready to be that kind of example? Like, I'm just gonna copy everything you do. Where you go, I'm gonna go. What you say, I'm gonna say. What you watch on TV, that's what I'm watching on TV. Whatever's on your your radio in the car, that's what I'm listening to. And whatever you do, I'm gonna do because that's how Christians live. I think most of us would be, Give me a week or so to kind of get everything together and prepare for that because I'm not ready right now, right? Here's what Paul says. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, here's the idea though. Paul says, as I follow Christ. So the moment Paul or anyone else stops following Christ, stop following them. Because here's the thing. If you follow me while I'm following Christ and then I stop following Christ and you continue to follow me, that's how cults get started because you're not following a person, you're following Jesus, you're following God's word. And I'll be an example to you. He's like, are you gonna be an example? Yeah, the Bible commands all of us to be examples, especially, especially pastors. So, we're to be examples and we're to leave a legacy that advances the cause of Christ. Turn back to to, uh, Philippians chapter one if you would. Paul says this in verse number 19, I know this shall turn to my salvation. I know I'm gonna get out of this situation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He says my eager expectation. You know what that means, that earnest expectation? It means eager anticipation. It means Paul's rubbing his hands together going, oh, I can't wait to see how God gets me out of this. Uh, the, the Greek word that's used for earnest expectation means the straining of the neck to sit around the corner. Like Paul's like, oh, I can't wait to see how God works this out. Don't, don't worry about me. I know some of you are bothered by the fact that I'm in jail. I'm not bothered by it. I'm looking forward to seeing how God is gonna get me out of this. You know what Paul was teaching in that moment? Whatever your circumstances, don't sweat it because God has already determined your deliverance. 
And you just need to wait with eager anticipation and how God works that out. And Paul says, it's not about me, it's all about advancing the cause of Christ. And he goes on later to say, whether I, I live or whether I die, it doesn't really matter. I want Jesus to be magnified. And he's less concerned about his own personal comfort and more concerned about the cause of Christ. But to be able to do that, you and I need a passionate commitment to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has enough casual fans. Jesus has enough hangers-on. Jesus has enough people that are remotely interested in him. He doesn't need more of that. He needs committed followers. I saw a guy at the mall on a Friday night. He was checking me out at the, at the Gap. And he had two hoop earrings at the top of his earlobes with crosses on them. And you know what I did not even think to ask him when I saw that? Hey, man, are you a Christian too? I didn't think to ask that. You know why? Because it's jewelry. It's a decoration. Anybody can wear a cross. Any knucklehead can go to Claire's and buy themselves a cute little cross necklace for $9.99. Buy three things and you get one free. If you ever have girls, just know Claire's is the end of you. Just know. The end of you. Every time I go to check out, did you know that if you buy three, I, da, 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 don't, don't finish that sentence. I don't need to buy three things to get one free. Be quiet. We'll run one thing and we're out of here. Claire's is the death of every girl dad. Anyways, um, oh, yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Any knucklehead can get themselves a cross tattoo on their forearm. I met guys before the cross forearm tattoo and I said, hey, are you a Christian? And they go, no, I just thought it was cool. So a guy with one one time, I'm like, no, I'm Irish Catholic. Are you a Catholic? No, not really. I don't even really believe in God. But this is, this is who I am. Oh, okay. Jesus doesn't need people that are casually interested in him. He needs committed followers who are dedicated to the cause of Christ. That's what he's looking for. Jesus isn't interested in your, your casual church attendance. He wants you to be fully committed to him in every single area of your life. That's what he wants from you. That's what Paul had. But you see, to follow Jesus, first of all, you gotta know Jesus. Many people don't follow Jesus because they don't even really know who he is or what he expects. Many Christians have never even read the whole Bible before. I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm new to the faith in the last three months, you know, I haven't read the whole Bible or I've been saved for less than a year, I haven't read the whole Bible. I'm talking about people who've been saved for decades that have never read the Bible. You need to know what the Bible says so that you can know Jesus. And here's the great thing about Jesus. The more you know Jesus, the more you'll love Jesus. The more you realize who he is in light of who you are, you'll be like, oh, wow, that was really good. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that fires me up. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 9, and to be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and make conformable into his death. Paul says, I want to know him, not just in a factual way. I want to, as I go through suffering, I want to feel what he felt, and I want to know what he knew, and I want to be conformable. I want to be shaped into his image, even unto death. I don't want to just know facts about Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. But you got to know him. You got to spend time with him. To know Jesus, we need to pursue Jesus. I got to go after him. Some people get the idea that pursuing Jesus is like, oh, it's a pursuit that I'll never be able to finish. It's almost like I'm running after Jesus, but it'll always be, you know, a quarter mile ahead of me as I chase after him. That couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God and he'll draw nigh unto you. The moment you start walking towards Jesus, he starts coming your way every single time. But the problem is many people have a casual pursuit of Jesus. They're not really that interested in knowing him. They think, hey, if I show up to church once or twice a month, I think I'm doing okay. If I crack my once a month, I think I'm doing okay. Hey, if I pray before my meals, I guess I'm doing okay. That couldn't be further from the truth. He wants you to pursue him in every area of your life. Keep your finger here in Philippians 1. We're gonna come back in just a second. Turn over to Psalm 63. The book of Psalms is one of my favorite books in all the Bible, and Psalm 63 is one of my favorite Psalms. Because you see a guy who really just desires God. 
Psalm 63, if you have a, a Bible that has headings above the Psalms, you know, this is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. You know why David was in the wilderness by chance? Because he was running for his life? Because there were people who wanted to kill him? And he was in hiding. You know what he says? Verse number one. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I, I'm like a dude that hasn't had a drink of water in days and I cannot find water. That's how I am when I'm looking for you. Notice he doesn't just want God's stuff. Many times you and I get mixed up because we want stuff from God. We just don't want God. I want God to bless I want him to give me good stuff. I want him to pay my rent. I want him to get me out of the mess that I'm in. I want him to advance me in my, my work and get me a promotion. I want him to get me in a better place to live. I want him to take care of my kids. I don't really just want him. I just want his stuff. Please understand that God is not your sugar daddy. God is your heavenly father. And he's not just going to give you stuff. He's going to love you and care for you and provide for you in the way that he as a father sees best. But David, David didn't just want God's stuff. He really wanted God. Verse number two, to see thy power and thy glory. So as I've seen it in the sanctuary, God, I want to see you do awesome stuff. I want to see you move. I've seen it before and I want to see it again. Verse three, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. God, your love that I've experienced is like a love that I've never had before. And the way that you treat me, the way that you are to me, that is better than life. And because of that, I got nothing but good things to say about you. Verse number four, thus will I bless thee while I live. I'll lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Like a fat dude on Thanksgiving day, I am so full of how good you are. I'm so satisfied as someone who's just eaten a massive meal. That's how I feel filled up with how good you are to me. Verse number six, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate watches. When I lay in bed at night, I continue to think about you and how good you are and how faithful you are again and again and again. Verse seven, because thou hast been my head, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Now David's taking a little bit of literary uh, uh, example uh, that he gives here of maybe a hyperbole be the right word speaking under the shadow of God's wings God is not a spirit he doesn't have wings like a uh, animal would but he gives the idea of God being over him covering him that he's sheltered underneath God and he's safe he's found a place of security and a place of rest underneath God's security here's a guy that's running for his life and the people that he thought cared about him hate his guts and want him dead and you know what he says God you are everything to me and I find Security and I find rest underneath you. I love verse number eight. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth thee. God, my soul is yearning for you. It's following hard after you. And your right hand, the hand of blessing, the hand of favor, it upholds me. Your hand of power, it's my power. Verse nine but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall, have their, they shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. Those people that are, hate my guts, you're gonna take care of them. Verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that lies shall be stopped. I know you're gonna take care of me and you're gonna bring me out of this and everybody else, you're gonna handle them too. But God, I just want you. And you want to magnify Jesus in your life? Pursue him, desire him, get to know him. Stop trying to get his stuff and start trying to get him. And here's the thing. It's not some weird mystical thing that I've got to find Jesus. I've got to go on some journey. I've got to be, be weird and sit in a quiet room with candles lit and listen for hours at every sound that I hear around me and get in touch with my inner being. You want to know Jesus, spend time in his word, spend time with his people, spend time in prayer. You'll know him like you've never known him before. Well, that's what Paul says. I want to magnify Jesus. Turn back to Philippians 1, if you would. <laughs> it says in verse number 21, 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think of that first of all, to live is Christ. Paul is like, you haven't lived until you've known Jesus. The world says everything under the sun. You haven't lived until you've seen a sunset in such and such place. You haven't lived until you've eaten deep dish in the heart of Chicago. You haven't lived. You haven't lived till you've gone to New York City and had Brooklyn-style pizza that just in your mouth. You've never lived until you've experienced whatever. Paul says this, you haven't lived until you've known Jesus. You haven't lived. You don't know what life is until you know Jesus. You've never experienced love. John tells us in 1 John, you've never known love until you first known the love of God. You don't have the capacity to love outside of first knowing the capacity of God's love. And Paul says, for me to live is just for Jesus to live. Life, life is Jesus, that's it. So to live is Christ. You see, magnifying Jesus is all about practical Christianity. We don't read the Bible for information, we read the Bible for application. There are many Bible scholars out there that know more about the Bible than I'll ever know in my lifetime that don't believe in God. I met a man one time, he, uh, one of the uh, condos across the street was walking by and uh, saw our church and popped in for a minute, was talking when we were first getting the church started. His name was Steve, I'll never forget him as long as I live. Asked Steve what he did for work, he says he's a part-time uh, psychologist and a part-time bar owner. I thought that was interesting. Uh, you pull their problems at night and talk about their problems during the day, the only thing I can figure out. But talk about that for a minute and I asked him if he... Uh, had a church background. He said, yeah, I actually graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary. Oh, that's impressive. I said, what did you study? He told me what his undergrad was in. He said, but my, my, my master's and my doctorate work was in ancient biblical languages. What? You have a doctorate in ancient biblical languages? He's like, yeah. It's like, I, I can read Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic like I read in English. What? That's fascinating. And so we began to talk about that a little bit. I said, what did you plan on doing with that? And he said, it just really enriched my study of the Bible and, and what I knew about God, being able to read the Bible in different languages and from different perspectives and understanding the fullness of the meaning of the language and stuff like that. I was like, dude, that is massively impressive. I said, where do you go to church? He goes, huh, I haven't been to church in 20 years. Excuse me? Uh, I really got burned out on the whole church thing, Christian thing, and I don't even really know if I'd call myself a believer at this point. Wow, okay. Friend, that's not Christianity. <laughs> you have a person who knows more about the Bible than I'll ever know, hope to know in my lifetime, but is doing nothing with it whatsoever. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is living for Jesus each and every single day. You see, practical Christianity changes how I live daily, every single day. Again, Paul says in verse number 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing shall I be ashamed but with all boldness. See, practical Christianity changes how I live every single day. I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. And just know this, if you choose to wear the label Christian, you will also with it inherit other labels that go with that these days in our society. Well, I don't want people to think I'm, I don't want people to know I'm a Christian because they might think that I'm a bigot or a racist or a homophobe or a this or a that. Hey, look, wear the label Christian. You don't have to wear any of the other labels that anybody gives you. And it's funny that we live in a society today where we don't want to give people labels, right? But we want to throw labels on Christians. That's not really fair. But here's the thing Paul says, I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. I'm not going to be an undercover Christian. I'm willing to be bold in my faith. I'm willing to not be ashamed of who I am. Again, we live in a society today that says, celebrate who you are, unless you're a Christian, and then keep that to yourself. You can't have it both ways. I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. I don't have a problem saying I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, on the same time, I'm going to reject all the other labels that you want to give me but I'm not ashamed of being a follower of Jesus Christ because it changes how I live every single day. It changes 
people that I spend my time with. It changes the way that I spend my time. It changes the way that I spend my money. It changes the way that, that I live my life and as far as the music that I listen to, the movies that I watch, the entertainment that I'm involved with, the hobbies that I engage in. Being a Christian determines who I want to influence and who I allow to influence me because I'm a Christian and things are different for Christians. See, practical Christianity is a holy, sanctified life that points other people to Jesus. I live a life according to the Bible that helps me to point other people to Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine that during this quarantine, you might have gained a little extra weight, sit on the couch, watch Netflix, ate too much ice cream, gained a little bit of extra weight. You think to yourself, I need to get, once the gym's open back up, I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm going to hire a personal trainer. It's going to help me lose this 25 pounds, back into good shape and feeling good about myself. I'm going to make good choices about food. You show up at the gym, first day, your personal trainer's there. It's about 100 pounds overweight. His gut's sticking out from underneath the shirt, really fit got a milkshake from McDonald's in his hand. He says, what's up? What are we working on today? He'd be like, uh, no, no. I'm looking for somebody that can help me, and obviously I think I could help you in this case. Can you imagine going to a financial planner who you want help in your wealth planning so that you're thinking long-term of the assets that you have and how you can invest those in the future? And you go into his office, he goes, oh, excuse all the mess right here. I'm in the middle of declaring my third bankruptcy and uh, I've got to try to get all this paperwork sorted out. I can't find anything. How can I help you today? Oh, I think I'm good. Hey, we're trying to find ways to better communicate in our marriage and how we can take our marriage to the next level. If you could help out. Well, I've, I've had seven marriages so far, so I think I've got a lot of experience in that. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. No. By the same token, can you imagine anybody coming to a foul-mouthed, angry, carnal, porn-addicted Christian asking them, hey, tell me more about this Jesus that you know? No. Nobody's going to want what you don't want. Here's the thing. We live in a society today of people who don't want to shop at garage sales. You know why? They don't want the stuff that other people are getting rid of want your Christianity that you yourself don't want. So you're not magnifying Jesus, you're minimizing Jesus. You're drawing people to Christ, you're repelling people from Christ. And if that's you, repent, make things right with God, and get back in a right relationship with God that draws people to the Savior, not pushes people away. But you gotta live that life. I gotta live a life that draws people to Christ. Now, Paul here is not trying to magnify Paul. I don't want to live a good life so that people think I'm a great guy. I don't care if you forget my name, never forget the name of Jesus. I don't care if you forget that I am, just know who Jesus is. Every time we go to a restaurant and we leave a good tip, we leave a gospel track there because I want, you might forget me, but I want you to remember Jesus. But I always try to tip well. These people livelihood, this is how these people pay their bills. I want to do good to them because the Bible says do in your hand to do it. But here's at the end of the day, I want people to, I want to leave a good tip. People think, oh, what a great guy he is. No, I want to give them a gospel track so people can say, oh, this is how Christians live. Almost every time I leave a, a tip where you sign your name there, I put God bless out to this side and I leave an invitation to our church. I want you to know God bless you with this. Do with it what you want. But God gave it to you. You know why? I'm trying to live my life in a way that would point people to Jesus. Paul wasn't trying to build a crowd unto himself. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul actually eschewed that. Some people are saying, I'm of Paul. Other people are saying, I'm of Apollos. Other people say, I'm following Peter. He goes, knock it all off. It's all about Jesus anyways. And so magnifying Jesus is about me living a life that points people to Christ. So he says, to live is Christ. Secondly, he says, to die is gain. Paul says, I see my death as a win. <laughs> so whether I live or whether I die, I come out on top. If I'm living for Jesus, I come out ahead. If I die and go to be with Jesus, I come out ahead. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, I want to pause here for just a second and give you a, a quick uh, commercial. Two weeks from today, 
So two weeks from today, I want to encourage you to be here and invite a friend to be with you. We're going to talk about something that's really important in the life of Christians and the world we live in today. We're going to talk about depression and suicide two weeks from today. We did it last November. I think we're just going to kind of do it every November time frame. Talk about that because it's something that the church many times doesn't want to talk about. We're afraid to talk about, but we can't be. It's so important to us. And it's really important too because this passage that we're looking at, Paul says in the next uh, verses here, he says, you know, I'm trying to think like, do I want to go to heaven or do I want to be with you? And he goes, it's kind of hard for me to choose because both are good options. And I've heard people before use that as say, well, Paul's saying he's thinking about taking his life. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's choosing whether he wants to stay here or whether he wants to go to heaven. That's not what Paul's choosing. So first of all, we're going to take a look at what Paul is not saying and then what Paul is actually saying there. He's not saying he's going to take his life. But it's really important that we discuss that. We're going to do that two weeks from today, so invite uh, a friend to come with you for that. It's really, really important stuff. But he's saying, I want to live in a way that brings people to Christ. But he's saying, I want to die in a way that brings people to Christ. You see, magnifying Jesus is about leaving a legacy of faith. Magnifying Jesus is about leaving a legacy of faith. <laughs> Let me share something with you. You're going to die one day. And when you do, your entire life is more than likely going to be summarized with one sentence. One sentence. If you ever looked at somebody's tombstone, unless you have some big, huge mausoleum thing going on, usually there's like husband, father, brother on there. When people talk about you, hey, do you remember Anthony King? Oh, I don't really remember. Here's that dude who made a ridiculous amount of money, drove really nice cars, and had a huge house. Do you remember him? Mm, yeah, kind of, sort of. Is that what I want the summary of my life to be? The material possessions that I amassed? Or do I want people to say, he was that guy that we work with that was a really solid Christian. He was a guy who was always inviting us to church and was really committed to his faith. I want that to be my legacy. Remember one of our members in our church, her father passed away several years ago and his obituary that they had online, 75% of it was talking about him, his faith, what he did for his church, and then at the bottom was like his family. And I thought to myself, I never knew this guy, but I can't wait to get to heaven and meet him because he was all about Jesus. But here's the thing, to live a life and to die in a way that points people to Jesus, you gotta start living that way today. I gotta start thinking of eternity like today. I got to think of what I want to be remembered by today. And so the legacy that I leave, I've already told my kids, look, I'm not leaving you a big chunk of money when I die because I don't have it to give, but I'm leaving you the thing that I ever had. The most important thing I ever had was my faith, and I'm leaving that for you. And that'll take you much farther than any amount of money that I could ever possibly give you. But you see, this requires a crystal clear testimony. People got to know that I'm a Christian. That guy that you worked with, was he, was he a Christian? You know, I don't know. He, he said, God bless you one time when somebody sneezed, and so I think he might have been a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure. No, I want it to be abundantly clear that I'm a follower of Jesus. No questions asked. Paul says, you spend enough time around me, you're going to know about Jesus. You know why? Because I'm magnifying him. You can't see Paul without seeing Jesus, is what Paul said. So it's about having a crystal clear testimony. He said that to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you fully know my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, and afflictions. Timothy, I was transparent. What you see was what you got. And I want to encourage you to be a consistent, transparent Christian, that what people see is what they get. Unfortunately, sometimes people are one person in church and another person at home and the rest of the week. Oh, are you talking about the person that he is on Friday night, or are you talking about the person he is on Sunday morning? Because those are two different guys. You're talking about the guy he is on Sunday morning, the guy he is on Monday morning. Two different guys, separated by 24 hours. No, no, I want to be the same when God called us to start Huicala and called me to pastor the church. I remember telling Angela, I want to be the same guy on Sunday morning in the pulpit that I am on Monday night at dinner. 
And by the grace of God and a lot of help from my wife, she's helped me keep me in check. I don't want to be somebody that I'm not. And I'm not talking you, asking you to go to work and put on a fake show of being a fake Christian. I'm talking about you being the real deal with God every single morning, every single day of your life for the rest of your life. And that carries over into every area of your life. It's important, though, that this is not about leaving a self-serving legacy. I'm not trying to get people to think well of me. I'm not trying to, people to, to get people to think something of me when I'm gone. I don't know what's, what happens to, to this church when I'm dead and gone. I pray that God would forever, until the day that Jesus comes back, put, have this church as a gospel preaching station here in this city until Jesus comes. That's, that's my hope and my prayer for this place. But after I'm dead and gone, I really hope nobody like makes like some hall that you walk down that has a bunch of big, huge like oil paintings of former pastors with big gold bronze plaques at the bottom and stuff like that. You know why? It's not about me. I make sure if they do that they put some color in my beard because it never really got any color in it. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's a matter of leaving behind something that not points to my life, but points to my eternal priorities. Sometimes people go, well, your, your legacy's not about you. You're absolutely right. All this talk of legacy building selfish. It's not selfish unless we're talking about pointing to me. But if you read anything that Paul says, Paul says it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. And I wanna leave behind a life that points people to Jesus. One of the reasons that our family moved back to Honolulu to plant who we call a Baptist church is because we wanted to be a part of something that outlived us. And the church that Jesus started, started 2,000 years before us, and by the grace of God, it's gonna go on for all of eternity. And I wanna be a part of that. I wanna invest my life in that. And so, so we came here to start something that outlived us because we wanted our legacy to be something bigger than us. Last Sunday, we took a look at seven or so people that have been here since the very beginning. Their legacy is faithfulness here at this place. And I hope when we have our 25-year anniversary here at Huicala, that those same people that are still here serving Jesus, we talk about all the good times and the good things God's done in two and a half decades. I hope that's the case. But here's the thing. It's not about us. Uh, Jesus. Turn to Acts chapter 21. We're going to take a look at one passage of Scripture and we're done here today. Acts chapter 21, verse number 10. Paul and a group of guys had gotten together. Verse number 10, Acts 21, 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he's come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. Girdle's kind of like a belt that you would take your, your, your long flowing robe and tuck it up into when you're getting ready to fight or run. And Paul's belt, he took it and he held it up. He bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. So this prophet, Agabus, comes up and he grabs Paul. He says, the Holy Spirit told me whoever's belt this is, when they get to Jerusalem, they're going to be arrested. That was uh, concerning to the folks there. Verse number 12, when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul, you cannot go to Jerusalem. You're going to get arrested. You just can't do it. And Luke is writing here and says, we, the group of guys that we were with, and everybody that was there with Paul that day is like, Paul, you can't go. Verse 13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I'm not ready to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's like, Guys, shut up with the crying. Are you serious? I'm ready not just to be arrested, but I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus at Jerusalem. Shut your trap, you bunch of girls. Seriously. Paul's like, I've already did the math on this, guys. I'm ready. It's not ready. Like, 
I'm I'm ready to go. Whatever comes, I'm ready for it. Verse 14, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, and after those days, we took up our carriages and went to Jerusalem. Hmm. And what happened at Jerusalem? Paul got arrested for preaching the gospel. Paul's like, okay, now what? <laughs> Paul's like, I was ready to get arrested. I was ready to die. And eventually Paul would die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? They tried to silence Paul by putting him in prison. They tried to silence Paul by taking his life. You know what only happened? Jesus got magnified. This whole thing blew up and went worldwide. 2,000 years, you and I are still talking about Paul. You know why? Because Paul magnified Jesus. And that's big. So I'll leave you with some final thoughts this morning. First of all, focus on the eternal. So many times we don't think about what's going to happen to me today or tomorrow. We can't think of anything past Friday. Think about what happens the day you stand before Jesus. We took a look at several weeks ago how we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian. You'll stand before God one day and give an account of your life. Did you invest it well? Think about eternal, not just about what's gonna happen today. Secondly, whether we live or whether we die, it's all about Jesus. Hey, my life, I want as I live for it to be all about Jesus. I want everybody who knows me to know that I'm a Christian, to know where I go to church, and to know that they can join me any Sunday of the world. If they ever have questions about the Bible, they can ask me. If they ever need prayer, I will pray for them. I want them to know that because that's the way I want to live my life. But when I die, I want people to know that I died in faith, believing God. I've already talked to my wife about what I want when I die. I don't want a bunch of people getting together for two or three hours telling stories about me. I want you to come together, and I want you to every single person that ever thought that they knew me be here because I want somebody to stand and preach Jesus. Here's Anthony. He's not with us anymore. He's celebrating today in heaven, so we're not going to shed a tear because he's having a good time where he's at right now. But here's what he wanted you to know. He wants you to know that Jesus loves you, and he, sent, he, di he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you see Anthony in heaven one day, here's how you can know. Repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and accept him as your Savior today. Best thing we could do to honor the legacy of this man right here is to put our faith in the God that he put his faith in. That's what I want for my memorial service. Now, look, if, if you guys sit around all crying and telling weepy stories for a couple hours, just know I'm floorboards in your hallway creek every single night and you ain't gonna be able to sleep i want to come back and haunt you you can't really do that but if you could i would because it's not about me i'm not trying to leave a legacy so that people have good stuff to say about me one day i'm trying to point people to jesus and i want to do that with my life and i want to do it with my death and paul says whether i live or whether i i want jesus to be magnified so whether we live or we die it's all about jesus live well and when your time comes, die well. I've had the opportunity to sit with people that are facing death. I've had the opportunity to encourage them in their faith. Had the opportunity several years ago to um, go sit with a woman who is in stage four cancer. She didn't attend our church, but uh, she was friends of some of the folks that I went to the gym with, and she had um, uh, had been a coworker of one of the folks that had attended our church, and. I got her contact information, asked if I could stop by. She said yes, and I went to, to Coppolet in a house, beautiful home. I walked in. They'd set up a hospital bed there in the living room. I sat with her. Her name was Susan. And I said, Susan, tell me about your relationship with God. And she began to tell me that there was a friend who had invited her to a Bible study at a duty station that she was at, and she'd gone to the Bible study, was not a believer, but... This friend had shared Jesus Christ with her and she accepted Christ as Savior as part of this Bible study. And while she'd read her Bible, she hadn't been really a part of a church and she had some regret for that. And she didn't have a lot of good Christian friends and made a lot of mistakes that she wasn't proud of. And she said, I just hope that I've done enough to get to heaven. I said, Susan, let's talk about that. And I went through the gospel and I said, there was a time in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior and you repented of your sins. She goes, yeah. I said, how sure? She said, 100% sure. 
I said that I can tell you based on assurance of God where you don't have to hope you're going to heaven. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven. And we talked about the assurance that was found in Jesus Christ and the hope that was found in the gospel. And I remember just the joy that came across her face. It took everything she had to smile. But she said, that's such a relief knowing that I'll see Jesus one day. We prayed. I left. She called my friend that I went to the gym with and said what an encouragement it had been to hear that she knew for sure she was going to heaven. I didn't know that 48 hours later she'd be in heaven with Jesus. But you know what she did? She died in faith. <laughs> I went to her memorial service, which was held on. She was um, officiated by one of the chaplains. The chaplain just says, she's no longer in pain anymore, and she's where she is because she made so many great sacrifices for our country and lived a life of selfless service. And I thought to myself, time out, stop. <laughs> I know where she's at, and I know why she's there, and she does too. But I thought this, she died well in faith, trusting God. When it's my time, I don't want to sit around feeling sorry for myself, wishing woulda, shoulda, coulda. I want to be able to say, I'm ready to see Jesus. I'm looking forward to that. I was encouraged to, to hear a couple of weeks ago about Carrie's wife, Kristen. She says, I'm just ready to see Jesus. And she did. I want to live well so that I can die well, so that everything in my life and my death points to Jesus. Next. Magnifying Jesus is all about maximizing God's glory in your life. We took a look at last week how we can bear maximum fruit. Here's the same kind of the idea. Where can I maximize God's glory? I can't think of another place on planet Earth where I should be right now that I could give God more glory than I'm giving him today, and I want to continue to do that. Where can I maximize God's glory in my life? Look, there's a lot of places you could live. There's a lot of places where, again, if you were just governed by the comfort of your living, you would choose a place other than here. Look, if I was just choosing based on proximity to family and cost of living, Honolulu would be the last place in the world I would ever want to live. But if I wanted to find a place where people need to know Jesus and where God has given us a golden opportunity to impact the cause of Christ in this unique time, there's no better place in the world for me to be, and I think for you too, than right here where you are right now. So here we are. The question is, do you live for the glory of God or are you living for the glory of self? Are you living for what you want or are you living for what God wants? That's the difference. I want to ask myself, am I in a place where I can be used to God's glory to the maximum? If not, I want to get there. So, I want to challenge you. Live a life that points people to Jesus. Angela and I had the opportunity on our honeymoon to go to London, England. We had the opportunity last year. Some friends sent us on a trip to, to London again last year. And uh, there in Piccadilly, there's a uh, uh, statue that's right in the middle. I think we've got a, a photo of it here. Um, right in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, there's this water fountain with this uh, angel on top. You got a, got a photo of it, Dave? Dave. There we go. Thanks, Dave. How many of you have ever been to Piccadilly Circus and seen this? Raise your hand if you've seen it. It's kind of cool, right in the middle of it. Uh, the Most people think that that's the angel Eros. It's actually called Ant Eros, which is something kind of different, but the same. But this is Lord Shaftesbury uh, Fountain Memorial. Lord Shaftesbury was a Christian who in the uh, mid to late 1800s had um, championed the cause of women and children's uh, employment rights. Uh, children would be caused to work for uh, 18 plus hours in coal mines and as chimney sweeps. And as a result, many children were sick and dying and women were, were being treated uh, in a very unkind way. And because Lord Shaftesbury was a Christian, he wanted to change that. And so he got involved in politics and really turned around and fought for the rights of these folks. Uh, and because of that, they created a memorial for him there uh, in the middle of London. And the, uh, this memorial here is to, for him, he was a Christian, and he made this statement, which is absolutely, perish all things so that Christ be magnified. Perish all things so that Christ be magnified. When we think of what we talked about last week of the pruning process, some things in our life that need to go so that we can bear more fruit. When we think about the idea of 
Christ being magnified. Maybe some things need to be cut off. Maybe some things need to die. Maybe some parts of myself need to die so that Christ can be magnified. Angela, I had the opportunity when we were in London to go on the Christian Heritage Tour to see all the different Christian heritage that was there in London and to think in the midst of all this sin and debauchery and terrible things that were going on in a, in a metropolitan city like that, there stood a, monument, a man who was a Christian who stood for the right, who said, I just want Jesus to be magnified and everything else can die. And I think of our lives. Perish all things that Christ be magnified. I just want Jesus great. I don't want anybody to be able to look at my life without seeing Jesus. I want Jesus to be so big in my life that people cannot miss it, that he would be magnified. But that takes some adjustment on our parts, maybe some shuffling of priorities to put Jesus back in the top place. If that's the case, I want to encourage you to do that today. Maybe there's some sin in your life you need to confess and make right with God. Confess today, repent of it, walk away from it, never pick it up again. But at the end of the day, it's not really about you. It's not really about me. It's all about Jesus. You will be magnified. Most important thing in the world is if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. Put your faith and trust in Jesus today for eternity. And then I'm telling you this, he'll take it from there and your life will never be the same. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.